This podcast brought to you by Earthlink. It's Monday, March 20th, 2006. I'm Tom Merritt. I'm Molly Wood. Welcome to Buzz Out Loud, CNET's podcast of indeterminate length. Not featuring our fabulous producer, Veronica. It is episode 188, and we are already lost without her. Yes. But we have the wonderful cast filling in today. Thank oh, you. Oh, thank goodness. Thank uh, you. Because uh, what Veronica didn't show me before she left was how to do a phone interview, and we've got David Pogue in on the show today. Mm-hmm. Uh, in the second half of the show, we'll be talking to him about his Drive Savers article that we talked about on Friday. Yes. So that'll be coming up. Also, some stuff about Firefox 2.0, uh, basketball shutting down the state of Nebraska. <laughs> Not in the way you would imagine. Poor Nebraska. Uh, but let's start with Google. Let's, shall we? Um, Google apparently is not going to have to turn over your names and addresses if you've been searching for porn, which I'm sure is a great relief to many of you. <laughs> <laughs> That's just going to... Uh, the judge finally did grant the ruling, like, of course, very inconveniently after we had finished recording Buzz Out Loud on Friday. I know. This was... trial seems to have bad timing for us. It does. Everything seems to happen right after we record. This trial is not very sensitive to our needs. No. But uh, they basically said that the Department of Justice needed some data and Google could give it to them and it wasn't uh, overburdening. But the Department of Justice didn't need to know who was requesting the data. He felt that was overreaching. So he ordered Google to hand over just URLs Mm -hmm. so that they could test the filtering software. Yeah. Which I think is perfectly reasonable. Yeah, I actually think the judge... Seems to have made the right call. It's almost like a win-win-lose-lose for everyone. Yeah, everybody wins a little, everybody loses a little. Privacy seems to be preserved, right. from what I can tell. And on top of that, the government does have to pay Google a reasonable cost mm-hmm. for extracting the web addresses, and Google shall not be required to disclose proprietary information with respect to its database. Good. So, so good Good on you, Judge. Well, well done, Judge. For once. <laughs> <laughs> meanwhile, uh, meanwhile, Eric Schmidt talked to, to the register and denied that he, he was uh, that Google was planning some sort of online office, uh, but it was very much in in the way of a, uh, a Jedi mind trick. Yes, Eric Schmidt, the by the way, being Google's CEO. He is Google's token grown-up, according to the register. <laughs> That's how they titled him. Nice. Uh, he said that Google has no plans to enter the office market. Uh, Google bought the Bobbleware startup, according to Register, rightly, just because. What is Bobbleware? I don't know. That's a, it's <laughs> one of those UK terms. Maybe somebody out there can uh, explain that to us. Yeah, but, tell us what Bobble is. Uh, anyway, Google yeah. could just use a good web-based rich text editor, just he like says. anyone else. Because for something. Not for taking over Office-like functionality. No. And delivering it to the masses and no. running Microsoft out of business. You just need it for things. Uh, the stuff. quote, quote Although, from Schmidt told you, New York journalists, office is not the business we're in. Well, obviously. <laughs> he didn't say yet, but he might as well have. Yeah. Plus, that's a pretty narrow interpretation. Obviously, office is not the business we're in. We know that. Aggregating data and... and organizing the world's organizing information, the world's information. <laughs> which often ends up being in an office-like format. <laughs> exactly. He did say that he views rightly, by the way, as a data collection tool. Yeah. So watch out. Yeah. Because even if the Department of Justice doesn't get your information, Google will. Google. <laughs> I know. Just because they have, don't have to turn it over doesn't mean they don't have it. I mean, we're, we're being a little paranoid there. Yeah. But, but with good cause? <laughs> but they never maybe. tell you anything. How can we not be paranoid? Well, that, that brings up the, uh, the paranoid RFID story. See, we were, we were apparently uh, overreacting to that, according to Engadget. Mm-hmm. There is a uh, RFID viruses are, are way overhyped. Yeah, basically some RFID experts looked over claims of a recent study, the study we talked about, I believe, on Friday, 
that said that you could indeed insert viruses into RFID, RFID tags and said, all right, hold the boat. Hold the boat? Hold the boat. Hold the <laughs> Yeah, because I use a boat to train. make calls on. Hold the, hold the phone. Hold the phone. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> hold the phone. It's not as easy as all that. And in fact, the study was based on, it sounds like, fairly insecure RFID tags, not the type that would be inserted into U.S. passports, because at least they care about security a little bit and enough to make the RFID tags fairly Okay, secure. so the virus passing along is not a big deal, but I'm still right. a little worried about the ability for people to hack in and read these things yeah. without permission. Oh, yes. These experts don't say anything about that. They just say the virus thing, probably no. It's sort of like viruses on a cell phone. Like, possibly it's theoretically possible. <laughs> possibly. If um, the cell phone is indeed very insecure. But as to whether you can actually intercept RFID tag information, we still do not know. I love what Paul Miller or wrote. Or rather, at the we end suspect of, yes. What Paul Miller wrote at the end of his Engadget post: uh, We can't quite keep up with all the jargon, but it does seem the coming apocalypse won't be nearly as thrilling as previously suspected. <sighs> what suggested. a letdown! <laughs> oh well. Oh well. Actually, that's probably a good thing. Yes. Hey, so Firefox 2.0. Sort of. sort of out. Uh, Slashdot has a posting saying that Firefox 2.0 Alpha has been released. However, there was no Mozilla.com announcement the last time I checked. Mm. You going to refresh that, Molly, and take a look? Or? Yeah, yeah, I'm looking. Uh, but you, there's a link off of Slashdot, which probably won't work for anyone by now. Uh, <laughs> reading through the comments, it appears there's some disparity as to whether or not this is actually just a naming scheme that they use. But the poster reiterated that there has been no official announcement from Mozilla. Yeah. No, so and that take it with a grain of salt. Still be the case, but and also remember, this is an alpha. Mm-hmm. So if you find it somewhere on the web, not at the Mozilla homepage, and install it, it sounds like most of your extensions will not work. Nevertheless, yeah, well, it's, they are not guaranteed to work. They yeah. may or may not. Well, yeah, most of the warnings here say they won't. Yeah, and okay. it sounds like Mozilla has maybe said no, they won't. Um, but I just love to see people get all fired up about Firefox. Fired up about Firefox. Hey, I li- I used to live in Nebraska. Did you? That's <laughs> right. You worked for the AP there. Yes. In uh, Omaha. Uh-huh. And so I was very excited and to see... And you covered sports? I did cover sports at that time. That's yes. funny. So interestingly enough uh, to me, the state of Nebraska... This is just hilarious, actually. The state of Nebraska has pulled the plug on March Madness for its workers this year. So no Nebraska state workers can stream March Madness games because they're worried that streaming video of the game could crash the state's computer system. Well, yeah. I mean, and this isn't a big letdown. I mean, it is a big letdown, but <laughs> last year you couldn't stream the games for free online, right? Mm-hmm. So it's not like they've lost anything. Instead, the state workers are all going to be calling in sick, yeah. heading for long lunches. <laughs> I um, mean, I guess they'll be doing the, exactly what they the were doing The computer last system year. will not be threatened. But really, would the computer system have been threatened at all? I don't know, man. If, if all, all, Those people are basketball fanatics. They and if they are. all were streaming... It's true. That system may not be set up for a lot of bandwidth. But it's not streaming from their server. Anyway. What's streaming through their servers? Yeah, though? I mean, basically what they said. We used to have this problem at Tech TV where people would start streaming a bunch of stuff and it would just slow down the network. Yeah. Then they'd figure out who it was and they'd shut them down and then everything would be fine. I think what they're really worried about is when they say it's going to crash the state's computer system, they mean it's going to crash the system in which all the employees work. Yeah, no, not like, the state. Well, I mean, I guess if they they were silly enough to have their web servers hooked into their internal <laughs> system, it could. But have you seen this? They note this on the story too, and I love it. If you're when you're watching the live stream, it has a boss button. Oh yeah, and when you press it, it turns into like a little spreadsheet looking thing. Yeah, although it's those fabulous. are so easy to tell now. If you've ever seen one, now if you have a dumb boss, it might work. But <laughs> if you look at it; it's like that's not Excel. That's a boss screen. Yes. 
Some employers said it makes more sense to offer the games at work, whether on a TV or online, because it prevents employees from calling in sick to watch. Yeah, they should, especially there. Which is true. Although and, I don't actually in, know what the deal is with in Nebraska in that tournament. Duke and That's in true. North Carolina, they should do that as well. <laughs> that is also true. And wherever you are, the person they're like, my people are big fans too. What yeah, about Bradley? Your place too. I only know about Bradley because I saw it on ESPN this morning. At the oh, gym. yeah. Mm-hmm. I love That's the gym. Peoria, it's where I get all my right? sports news. Bradley? Uh, I heard it was Oakland region. But I don't oh, think they that's mean. That's a different. Bro- I don't yeah, think they the mean my Re- Oakland. No, they're in the Oakland Regional. Oh, the Oakland Regional. Which is I'm going to stop talking about basketball now. And get back to technology <laughs> and my and DRM. Woo! Let's Safe start. Ground. Yeah, let's talk about House Rule 1201. <laughs> House Resolution 1201. Yes. Digital Media Consumer Rights Act of 2005. The EFF is asking for people to get behind it. Because it will allow you to make to circumvent copy protection for fair use. Mm-hmm. It was introduced by U.S. Representative Rick Boucher, Boucher, and it requires labels on copy protected compact discs and restores the legal use of digital content and scientific research currently prohibited by the Digital Millennium Copyright Act. Very limited uses. Yes, but still yeah, valuable. Which fine. Yeah, as long as they're fair. Anyway. You know, I, I I really don't have a problem with copy protection. It just never works well, and they right. take it way too far. Yeah, absolutely. He says I for in the in on publicknowledge.org, they're kind of breaking down this bill, and they say, for example, there are so some of the things that are currently illegal under the DMCA. For example, if a blind person purchases a technology protected ebook and then wishes to have the text transformed into audio by bypassing the technology controls, this act is a violation of the DMCA. Yeah, there's a lot of examples. I mean, like this that. law is it's way beyond DRM and any issues that come up around that. It's this is patently a ridiculous law. My my support of undrm'd media is that I just think it's easier and smarter, mm-hmm. and that the companies can make just as much money off of it somehow. I yeah. believe that. I agree too. Like if but you're copy you're protection itself isn't such a bad thing as long as you can do the things with it you would expect to be able to do with anything you buy. Yes, and as long as you can continue to use it for the rest of your life. The idea that, well, I bought this and they could take away my rights at some point or <laughs> or the company goes out of business and all of a sudden the DRM authentication doesn't work. Right. Or you lose your house in a yeah. hurricane and, and suddenly you, you have to back buy all those CDs up. again. Yeah, because you, it would be illegal to back things up. Right. Yeah. Yeah. The fact that it's now illegal to back up your DVDs is just unbelievable. All right. Uh, we're going to hit the email real quick early this time because yes. we want to give uh, lots of time for David Pogue. Jason and others sent in this correction to what we were saying about the CBS streaming. The, we, we were talking about the VIP part of the streaming of the NCAA tournament as if it was a paid service. Mm-hmm. I believe I said you get what you pay for. I thought it was paid. in this case is not. nothing because it's free. There you go. You just had to be signed up ahead of time. Uh, to be able to get the VIP service. Now that they have your personal information, nothing is really free, but you didn't have to pay yeah. hard currency for exactly. it. Exactly. Um, George A., a comment about the charred MagSafe connect- con- connector that we talked about last week. He said, we had speculated about whether the charring was caused from the MagSafe actually being knocked loose from the PowerBook. He said, oh, I'm sorry, the MacBook. The MacBook. He said that the charring could have been caused by a loose connection. Insufficient electrical contact will generate heat. Which kind of could explain why the owner of the MacBook was so happy that his cats knocked the thing out because it yeah. kind of had just been sitting there going Z-Z-Z-Z-Z. sort of hanging there. Yeah. So that's one drawback to the MagSafe. We don't really care. It just looks awesome. Mark in Grand Rapids has an idea for you, Molly, which I'm actually pretty excited about too. I know. Uh, regarding your affinity for thin client, oh, why no, not use them. your Wi-Fi enabled portable product? In your case, it would be a Trio, Molly. Yes. And one of the free file sharing programs like Avenue, A V V E N U, or Folder Share. You already have the hardware, the software is free, and it allows you to access whatever files you wish from anywhere you have the internet. Dude, I 
he says, why not use it? Uh, why not? I don't know. Speed would be the only thing I could him. think of. If, yeah. if, you, if your connections are slow or, you I mean, know. In my case, I do so much work just over email that I rarely need actual files. But sometimes I do. So yeah. this would be great if I could get files on my trio in addition to all of my email and all of my contacts and all of my tasks. <gasps> I would never come to work again. All right. Thank uh, you, Mark. When we come back, we'll talk with David Pogue. Do you believe anything is possible? At Earthlink, we do. We believe the same company that delivers your lightning-fast DSL connection can deliver your home phone service and wireless service, too. One company for all your communication needs. Visit earthlink.net and start believing today. Earthlink, we revolve around you. Okay, we're back, and David Pogue has joined us on the line. David is an author for the New York Times as well as appears on CBS and NPR and has uh, been writing about technology for God knows how long. David, how long have you been writing about it? (laughs) Oh, man, uh, since uh, 86 or so. And uh, a Mac uh, aficionado, I know, right? Mm-hmm. Well, if I had to choose on a desert island, yeah. Okay. <laughs> David, are you the actual, are you the inventor of the Missing Manual series? You are, aren't you? I am. That okay. is my own branded series. O'Reilly's Missing Manual series, which you may be familiar with. What we are obviously talking about today, we were talking on Friday uh, about your reviews of the Drive Saver service and... Um, you emailed us, rightly so, over the weekend and said, in in part, that we had made some errors in talking about it and also that you wanted to tell your, your piece. So Yeah, and we were talking on Friday about the SF Weekly story that they did about you uh, getting comped the service for drive savers and then writing an article about it. And I think one of the, the mistakes that we made in talking about it on Friday uh, was to say that you had not disclosed it when I think that was only an issue with the CBS report and you did disclose it in the New York Times article. Correct. Okay. Um, the, uh, the thing that struck me is I think maybe five, six, seven times you guys talked about the fact that uh, I reviewed this Drive Savers Data Recovery Service and it would have cost $2,000 if I was a paying client, but because it was a review, they didn't make me pay and that I never disclosed that. In fact, I think you actually said... So he did disclose <laughs> the column that he had had a crash and then mm-hmm. reviewed the service. What he didn't say is that they gave him $2,000 worth of stuff for free. Okay. But well now that done. Actually, now that you've <laughs> actually read the article I wrote. Yes. Um, in fact, do you have it in front of you? Yeah. Yes. Would, would you mind just, because it's going to sound better not over the phone, can you write, mind reading <laughs> the, the part in bold, the, the second bolded sentence there? Yes. Had I been a paying customer and not a reviewer, I would have been charged about $2,000. Now, that sounds like a disclosure to me. Yeah. No, I absolutely do take responsibility for getting that wrong, and I apologize. Okay. Well, but, I, I don't mean to break you over the calls. Let, let me ask oh, you no, that's this, okay. Let me ask you about this one. So, I deserve it <laughs> in this so, case. <laughs> so the review came out, and you said on the air. And um, we should point out that the pieces were positive. <laughs> you what? think? And here's the, here's the, here's you the, think? Yeah, think. Okay. <laughs> now, would you mind reading the first folded part of the review? Is yes. this too embarrassing for me to make you read it? No, read not it. at all. All right, so it says, what, what I actually savers. said, this glowing review that, that you said I wrote, it actually says, and this, by the way, is the only part where I actually describe the service, the only sentence. Despite two trips to the clean room and the rebuild of my hard drive from identical spare parts, drive savers only batted 500. They resurrected my voice files, complete and whole, but couldn't find my email. Mm-hmm. And then there's two more sentences, and then it says, I would have been charged $2,000 for this. Yep. 
So I do not call that a positive review. Do you? It's it's not terribly positive. It's not exactly unfriendly, but yeah, I you know it's not it's not a glowing puff piece, and I don't think we ever intended to depict it that way. Right, and we so, we probably wrongly did in the heat of discussion. Okay, and just one more thing, and then I'll be in a cheerful, good mood, and much funnier. I promise. Okay, so the other thing that you said was this. And it at times kind of contradicts what Polk says about gifts, which is like that New York Times travel writers don't ever take free hotels, meals, cruises, theater tickets, yeah, or music. Okay, so did, did you hear what you read? Times yeah. travel writers don't accept any of this stuff. Yeah, what, let, and let me, I think what happened is that I misspoke. But so I was reading, I had been reading the quote that you sent SF Weekly that said every reviewer of, every, of any kind, theater, music, restaurants, travel, gets free services for review purposes. None of this is disclosed, although we could argue about whether it should be. And then what I was referring to is the Times saying that that's not true, <laughs> that the New York Times requires travel writers or freelancers for our travel section and magazines to pay for everything they do. But, 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 freelancers for our travel section and travel writers. Right, yeah, no. But I'm not a travel writer. It's true, and I think what I, what I misconstrued was that I was saying that this was the reasoning that you had offered to SF Weekly and the Times was in turn rebutting the, the, the bit about travel writers, which indeed is not relevant to your case. Right. But I mean, as journalists, you should be able to know when you're dealing with a, a no-name blogger who's trying to rake muck. You know what I mean? And he's using a, a quote from the Times that has absolutely no relevance to the case. Well, I, mean, I, guess, I, I guess here's my question about that, though. It, regardless of the, the merits or not merits of, of SF Weekly, it looks as though now the Times has said our policy is to pay for services and we are going to contact driver, drive savers about paying for this service. Okay, so here's, here's the actual story, okay? Here are the actual Times ethical guidelines. Reviewers are allowed to accept free Broadway tickets, free concert tickets, free sporting events tickets, um, free CDs, free books, free DVDs. And I believe that it's true that even CNET, when reviewing a cell phone, accepts free cell phone service when reviewing the Delphi MiFi satellite radio is allowed to accept free satellite radio service. Sure, for the period of the review, that right. is, that's true. And, and mm-hmm. you don't disclose that. Actually, we do. If you go to About CNET editorial, there's an entire list of our editorial disclosures that right, says... Right, but it's, it's not on each review. So the, the, the bottom line is, yes, the Times has no policy on services. I can send you a copy of the ethical guidelines mm-hmm. and... There's absolutely no reference to what to do about reviewing services. This has now been deemed an oversight, and they are going to change the policy. They're going to add a line because of all this mm-hmm. that says, from now on, we're going to pay for services like this. But I want to stress that at the time, this was just, I mean, I have reviewed music download services. I reviewed cell phones, satellite radio, satellite TV, and my editor and I have never batted an eye about them providing the service for the purposes of yeah. the review. Yeah, I mean, we absolutely, I think most journalistic, most companies and publications that review products and services have a similar method, which is that you do indeed take free service for the period of the review. And our own Cena editorial policy says free accounts to online services will be closed after the review is published. But I guess my question is, did you talk to editors before this? And they did they agree that That some $2,000 in services? Because that, you know, we have a very strict gift policy. And and on some level, if it's your personal hard drive, it's hard not to see that as a gift. And I guess that's what we were reacting to on Friday. 
Um, ab- absolutely. Well, a large part of what you were reacting to on Friday was your failure to actually read the review and just going off of the, you know, the the, the SF Weekly spin. That's true. But, but even having read the review, I have to say, I, I do but, have questions. Well, we're going, also going off the CBSNews.com blog okay, uh, let, quote from Charles Osgood as well. But let me answer your first question first. Um, Molly, your closing comment was somebody's going to get fired over this. Um, and in fact, no, absolutely not, because all of this, you have to understand, was run by the editors at every step. I'm not just a, a loose cannon who does whatever the heck he feels like. Right. Uh, my editor totally approved this and ran it. He's the one who sent it into the email queue. So yes, it was approved, totally disclosed, um, and no, nobody's going to get fired over it. So the CBS. Well, that's segment, good. We're actually very happy to hear that. <laughs> well, um, the CBS News segment was a little bit different. I, I take it you haven't seen that either. Um, the, the CBS News segment was a review was not a review of Drive Savers, but it was a story about the industry, and mm-hmm. it featured with equal time Drive Savers and its arch rival Kroll on Track. And we actually flew out to both of their headquarters, and the emphasis of that piece was on the funny stuff they find on these drives and the, the suicide crisis counselors that they have to employ to talk people down. And um, it was a very light, interesting, funny piece. So why did Charles Osgood feel necessary to apologize for it? Well, uh, it's my belief that what they fear is another rather gate. I think they, mm-hmm. they, are, they live in terror of bloggers right now and, and any even perception of impropriety. And by the way, I'm not saying that this couldn't have been played better. Um, looking back, I, I don't really see that it was irrelevant that I had been through the process with Drive Savers because this was not a story about how good a job they did and so on. It didn't make any qualitative assessment. But my failure was, and, and by the way, my CBS producer also knew the background of all this. But what the SF Weekly guy is saying is that I called up Drive Savers one day and said, if you fix my drive for free, I'll put you on TV. But the CBS story was five months later mm-hmm. when we were brainstorming for a story to do. And I said, you know, there's this really interesting industry, blah, blah, blah. So my failure was perhaps to, to connect those dots and say, you know, I disclosed this like crazy in the Times article, and maybe we should say something here. I just, I just didn't, wasn't savvy enough in the ways of the, you know, the blogosphere and the, the echo chamber. Well, it's kind of interesting. I wonder, because there is definitely right now in journalism, obviously, it seems a high level of paranoia due to things like Rathergate. But so then it does seem almost a little bit surprising that multiple editors at multiple entities would say, this is okay and we're going to go with it. Cause, and I guess it seems particularly odd to Tom and I because we work at a company that reviews products. And because our line on this would be really without hesitation, no way. Well, where, where, where do you draw, what's the dollar amount where you separate accepting free, uh, you know, free satellite TV services at $80 a month to, you know, music download services where they give you a coupon for 50 or 100 free? What, what would be your, your dollar limit? Yeah, I would. I mean, and that, that's a good question, right? It, it seems, it, and surely it's easy to... Uh, have hindsight, right? Hindsight's twenty twenty. Uh, but I think what has caught people's imagination with this, what has really gotten the attention on it, is the fact that you got something that's a permanent benefit. Right. Now, as you point out, 
you didn't get a total permanent benefit because they couldn't recover all your data. But that's the sticking point, which is a service goes away once it's done. A product is returned. And I, I, would, I don't think we're allowed to, uh, to keep anything unless it's under a certain dollar amount. Mm-hmm. And that dollar amount ranges. It depends on, on the beat and it depends on the company. I think here it's $25 or something like that. Yeah, I think it's $25 in value and, and it has in the past been $50 in gifts, but I think it's down to 25 now. So I agree that the SF Weekly article is is inflammatory now, having having seen more of the details. But there is that there is that nagging question of, but you still got more than just service; you got some data back from it. Oh, okay. So on Friday in your podcast, it sounded like because of the number of times you hammered on this, your issue was the disclosure. It, it sounded like mm-hmm. you were yeah. Saying, before we realized that the disclosure was there in the New York Times article, okay, sure. So, so the real issue is that the editors never should have allowed it. Is that, is that right? Well, what do you think? I mean, I, I, think there's, I think there was an honest mistake made here, and I'm not trying to rake you over the coals either. Uh, but is this the kind of thing that, that engenders distrust? I mean, this is something we deal with here all the time, is where is that line when you're reviewing? Because we can't, unfortunately, at money-making companies, be like Consumer Reports and just buy everything, which is the way I would prefer it. Well, the, the thing is, I guess in my head, it, there's two categories of things that I've always wanted to review but couldn't until it happened to me. And, Tom, you even touched on this. Right. How could you have reviewed this service if it didn't happen to you? Because a big part of Drive Savers is not just the recovery. They, they give like you like a therapist who calls you every day and holds your hands and reassures you and tells you their progress. So I, I would not only have to deliberately ruin somebody else's drive anonymously, but then I would have to either live with them or you know, monitor their phone line somehow to hear these conversations. Or do a test bed in which you, yeah. you don't get any of that personal coverage. Like, couldn't you have duplicated... You, you just lose out on that part of the story. Yeah, you couldn't you have way. duplicated all of your data on some other drive and ruin that? Um, or all yeah, it doesn't, have, doesn't have the personal tension, though, if you but, know it's not really gone. Saying, well. And then tell them that, that I'm not me or, or pretend to be somebody else? Is that what you're... Well, no, I mean... A I, sort of a paper tiger kind of approach? Yeah, we, I, we use... I don't know. I mean, I guess I'm just wondering if it could have happened on a test bed. And it still could have been you, but you could have said, you know, yes, I'm David Pope and I'm going to be writing this up for the New York Times, but I, we, our policy is to pay for it. Or, I'm, you know, we should pay for it so that we get the complete consumer experience and we feel the pain of spending that $2,000, which to me is, as you point out in your column, a huge part of it. Mm-hmm. Well, I'll tell you what. The, the policy is now, as I say, that mm-hmm. we're going to pay for everything, even the little cell phone services. We're going to, we're, Times is now going to pay for stuff that even CNET doesn't, you know, like the satellite radio mm-hmm. service and the music download service. It's going to be hard to quantify, you know, if I'm reviewing a new Trio phone, how much is two weeks of cell phone coverage, you know, but, but mm-hmm. we, can, we can work on that. Mm-hmm. Um, but at the time, this was not, as you know from the column, this was not my main machine. This was a test machine. It's a, it's a PC I use for nothing but dictating email responses to my public email address. So there were only two things on it, the email and the voice files. So that's another reason why, at the time, I just thought this is a great opportunity to see if this thing works. Because I definitely understand that. I mean, I, I did that with the upgraded laptop. I, I, I was running out of room on my own laptop, and so I, I, you know, I said, hey, this is a great opportunity for a story. Yeah, here it's, here it's a little different, though, because you actually got to keep a physical thing yeah. when it was over. Mm-hmm. I mean, the, the data recovery, that's a service, and the services are really in a gray area, a, a darker... Right, because you do get to keep something, which is any data that they might recover, but mm-hmm. but you're yeah, you don't have to point to 
a hard drive and say, yeah, I've got that and I've got it forever. Right. So the failure of mine was to, number one, anticipate the perhaps oversensitive nature of the, you know, mainstream media ethical thing and the blogosphere that's going on right now. And the second failure was when we did the CBS segment, I deemed it unimportant, and my producers deemed it unimportant, to talk about the history of how I came to discover about drive savers and how funny what this, this business is. Um, that is, that it had once been the subject of a New York Times article for which mm-hmm. it was a review, and therefore the services were provided free. You know, it would have been, you know, at first thought much too awkward to explain that into the script, which was very funny and lighthearted and kind of done like a detective story. Yeah. Right. So basically but, it seems that what we've all learned here is that we all have to be more careful. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, Me, and our, our failure was not, uh, <laughs> was, was not making sure that we either read the story or got you on the phone faster. So I actually appreciate you calling and giving us the chance to kind of clear the air. I still think, you know, let's, let's forget about your particular case. There is definitely an issue out there about the media Mm -hmm. and how they cover these things and and what is okay and what isn't as far as taking free services, because, you know, it's, it's a, it's almost a more a matter of perception than it is of reality. Well, exactly. And and that's, that's what we're feeling here is, is you, as you said, you misunderstood what the perception would be. Right. And, and we also really should not be on a high horse because we are just, you know, only, only consumer reports is unimpeachable. That's right. When it comes to reviewing products. Right. And the rest of us are in some gray area in between. And so I think the reason probably Tom and I reacted so emotionally is because it's very near and dear to our hearts. And Right. Well, by the way, I mean, the Times has got to be you know, the most ethically. I mean, you just cannot believe the stuff that they say no to. Oh, after, all, I, after what I, they've gone through in I the past few years, too, I'm sure. Broadway tickets. I turned down a ride on the Fujifilm blimp. I have to turn down dinners. I have to turn down speaking engagements where one... <laughs> Man, you get more invitations than we do. I know, where, clearly. Where one of the 50 sponsors is Sony, and I might review uh-huh. their stuff. I yeah. mean, I live by the most incredible ethical code. So, and, and you know, Tom, you, you've read me, as you said, on the air for, for decades. And so, I mean, all I can say is that I return every scrap of hardware... Even the ones they say, no, 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 really, keep it, give it to a school, consider it a permanent loan. Mm-hmm. I mean, it all goes back. The cell phone companies would love to have the New York Times tech critic carrying their cell phone, you know, and so on. But it just doesn't happen. The Times and now especially CBS, both have been through ethical crises lately, so they are both unbelievably careful. And um, that's the reason they're reacting so swiftly and dramatically now. And that's the reason that until this came up, you know, everything that I've done has been considered spotless. And this thing perhaps was a perfect storm of special exceptions. Well, David, thanks so much for coming on and talking with us about this issue and and sort of helping us to kind of clarify what happened. We really appreciate it. And let people know where they can read your column. Um, Sure. Well, uh, everything is linked from my website. My weekly column and my email column and my weekly video are all at davidpogue.com. Or, of course, it's on the Times website. All right. If you want to keep abreast of the rest of the day's news, check out our sister site at news.com for updates throughout the day of what's happening in the tech world. You can also reach us, 1-800-616-CNET. Give us an email, buzz at cnet.com, or post on the forums, forums.cnet.com. Look for the Buzz Out Loud Lounge. Thanks again, David. Thanks, guys. Bye. Bye. Bye.